Hello and welcome to JOSPT Insights, the podcast that aims to help you translate quality research to quality practice. I'm Claire Ardern, the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Orthopaedic and Sports Physical Therapy. It's great to have you listening today. Welcome to our second episode on managing Achilles tendon problems. If you're starting here and haven't heard the first episode on managing Achilles tendinopathy, please jump back a week and take a listen. I promise you won't regret it. In today's episode, we're picking up where we left off with Dr. Karen Silbernagel from University of Delaware as she takes us through the latest research on treating Achilles tendon ruptures. I started by asking Karen to share the options for managing Achilles tendon rupture. So Achilles tendon rupture is a very interesting thing. And a lot of people have this thought that when you have an Achilles tendon rupture, the tendon curls up and sits in the back of the knee. So of course you need surgery. But over the last 15, almost 20 years, more and more research has been done. And when I was at the University of Gothenburg and with my research group there and really looking at, do you need surgery or not surgery? There's not that big of a difference becoming surgical or non-surgical treatments when you're looking at the big groups. So how do you decide or how do you help the patient really decide whether to have surgery or not have surgery? Yeah, that's a really uh, it's an important question. I think what we're getting at with more, all the studies now is that you, as long as you have like early loading after the rupture, both with non-surgical and surgical, the recovery seems to be fairly similar. But more and more, we're starting to realize that maybe we can individualize our recommendation depending on. So we had one study that we looked at to see the gapping within the tendon, that if you have a greater gap after the rupture, greater than half a centimeter up to a centimeter, if you pick non-surgical options and with a greater gap, you might have greater degree, greater chance of uh, re-rupture and also worse function. But if the people had less than half a centimeter, there was no really difference in outcome, either surgical or non-surgical. What are the biggest obstacles for full recovery after an Achilles tendon rupture? So one of the big things that we've seen and I've seen in my research too is that the tendon heals longer. And all the tendon heals longer, regardless if you do surgery or non-surgical. But if that elongation gets too much, you get active insufficiency of the muscle. Basically, the tendon is too long. So if the castrock and the soleus is tired to contract, you're not able to get the good plantar flexion movement. So the degree of tendon elongation, how much longer, that is really one of the key problems to getting full recovery. And it probably relates a lot to what you see in elite athletes and things that they don't have the power to push off. But that, it seems to be a big problem. And I think that's really understanding that has actually shown shifted a little bit too. So I think surgeons nowadays, when they do surgery, try to tighten it a little bit more. So it could be that with that knowledge, it could be that maybe surgery is starting to get better because you could maybe compensate for that little bit tendon elongation. Some of the things with studies that we've seen, even with that, we might not have seen as big of a difference as we think. So I think it's a combination of making sure that the tendon ends are close together, you get the healing, and also that you have some early loading to get a good callus formation, kind of the healing, to make sure that it doesn't get long. But I think the tendon elongation have been a big issue. And with, along with that becomes a lot of the muscle atrophy that is hard to recover. Your key pillars for designing a management program after an Achilles tendon rupture would be... Yeah, so that's, again, is a lot of really working with the doctors in the combination. But if it was me, if it happened to rupture to me, I would get my foot into plantar flexion as quickly as I could to try to get those tendon ends together. I would use non-surgical but, uh, for myself because I figured if it re-ruptures, then they can do surgery anyway. But then you put it in... 
plantar flexion as much as you can. You can put it in a boot with heel lift. It should be a boot that is hard plastic, so you don't have a lot of movement in it. Early loading from the first week has been shown to be fine. To tell you the truth, people don't really load that much the first week, but then they get started with the loading. And it depends on how well the boot is so that you can actually put weight onto it. But putting weight on it seems to be really, really important. We progressively take some of these heel lifts out over time, and usually the boot stays on anywhere between six to eight weeks, depending on what the decision is or what clinic you're in and how they're using it. The other things that I think is of important, we progressively take these heel lifts out, but it's kind of more of a discussion how much how should we do that? Do we stretch it out or should we maybe taking out less? And how much do we do those exercises? And there's a lot of research and there's a lot of research groups are really trying to understand how we're doing the loading to get the best. I think the problem with it and what we've tried to look at is that you tell people that they can load and you tell people they can do exercise. But how much do they actually do? So there's more research now. People are trying to do, um, and we've done some of it too, put pressure sensors in the boot. And we tried activity monitors or step counters because clinically you feel like the people that came in with a really dirty boot was doing really well because they loaded a lot. And then people come in with a pristine, not a spot on the boot might have been really scared of loading. So the fear of movement that we've seen actually relates to sometimes of the recovery, the early recovery as well. So having the loading, having the ankle implant flexion so that you really get the tendonance to meet all kind of the key pillars. As soon as you get out of the boot and get started with the rehab, the rehab is very similar with surgical and non-surgical, and you need to start progressing slowly but surely. I think there is a, the highest risk of re-rupture is right when you take it out of the boot. So if you haven't done anything and start walking, of course, you're loading the tendon more. So you need to start loading the tendon, I think, within the boot and then progress. And also remember when you get out of the boot that it's that the quick loading of the tendon is causing peak, and that's more likely than to re-rupture than slower controlled loading. We talked about using the pain monitoring model when you are progressing load uh, with Achilles tendinopathy. Are you approaching similar way with Achilles tendon rupture, or is that a case where you don't want pain at all? So it's interesting that they don't have pain. There really isn't. People are concerned about the pain all the time, but they really, they don't have that same pain from the Achilles tendon. I mean, they can have pain, some stiffness around the scar. They're uncomfortable. Sometimes they have pain more in the foot or under the heel because the way they've been weight-bearing. But the Achilles tendon pain is really not an issue at all. Some people describe more of the tightness and the soreness from the scar as the main issue. So here it's really a lot more following their function, to follow the recovery, evaluate the progression over time. Because if you, we looked at the single leg heel rise, but at three months after an Achilles tendon rupture, half of our patients was able to perform one single leg heel rise and the other half didn't. And that was irrespective of surgical and non-surgical treatment. So we also do seated heel rise strength testing then to really try to look at that make sure that they recover the strength over time. Sometimes we do standing heel rises, but one leg on a box and the other leg that's injured on the scale to see that they can actually load more and more of their body weight while they're doing the heel rises to kind of measure changes over time. Because sometimes that's really frustrating for not seeing that the strength changes. Let's finish off with the return to sport. This keeps coming up again and again as this is a challenging transition time. So how do you approach return to sport after an Achilles tendon rupture? 
It's, it's very different in one way. But here, I think for Achilles tendon rupture, there is a lot of fear. And I think here, a lot of the people have, we have interesting, the recreational athletes, for example, they hurt them play, playing soccer. And they like, I'm never going back playing soccer, but I'm going to play basketball. So it's kind of this situational fear of loading uh, and returning to sports. And for Achilles tendon rupture, what we've seen in our studies, really performing functional testing, just like you do with the ACL, is very beneficial. First, for them to understand if they are well or not and how much they recovered, but also to start feeling the stamp of approval that I actually was able to do these. And we've seen that really beneficial, both for our, from physical therapy standpoint, decision-making, are you ready to return or not? And also for the patient to kind of feel, yeah, maybe I am or maybe I'm not ready. So we do a lot of the heel-rise tests to look at the endurance. You can do max strength, but we do a lot of jump tests, like single leg jump. We do the hopping test again that we talked about with tendinopathy, and we do drop box jump. So you stand on a box that's usually 20 centimeters high on one leg. You're supposed to jump down on the floor and then jump as high as you can. And that is really an interesting test because that really, when we see the fear really comes out with that one. Um, so people come in and they're like, are you sure I'm supposed to do this at six months? I'm like, yeah, I haven't had anybody ruptured yet. I think you should do that. And I think the first time they do it, they really feel empowered that you are allowing them to do this jumping. And then they move forward. And then when you test them again, they know what they're doing. So I think there is a lot of component of progressively increase the same um, getting back to the sports, being able to do what they do, but also empowering them to know that they have the ability to do this. Return to sport testing is a series of tests that we're doing over time. We don't just do a return to sport test once and then say, okay, see you later. I never want to see you again. Go back to playing NBA. This is we do one test as a starting point and then it's a progression is a really important concept. I think it's really important as, as we've talked about and you've done a lot of work on the return to sports too. It's not just the return to sports one test. It's returning to the team, then you can return to your performance and all these various stages and continually test so they feel like they're getting better and getting stronger. I think it's really important. And if you are going to have an elite athlete return too, you need to get back to where their performances were. Usually you have um, measurements before what they can do. So do the running tests, do the jumping tests, getting back to each of those every performances to see where they're at and they're moving forward. I do want to say for the Achilles tendon rupture, though, is that I've had people contacting me relating to gymnasts or other things that the coaches will not let the gymnast back unless their heel rise height is the same side on the other side. And I will tell you that it's never going to get back because if you have a longer tendon, the thing that is affected is the heel rise height. But as long as it's not too big of a difference, you should be able to function anyway. Having the expectation that your heel rise height or your heel rise performance is going to be 100%, it's an unrealistic expectation. And you can still go back to sport even if it's not. What we have seen, though, when I think is important with the recovery of Achilles tendon ruptures is that, well, most patients have some decrease in plantar flexion power and those things. And what you do when you run and jump in the higher levels, you seem to compensate that at the knee. And we've seen that in many of the studies that we're doing. So if you know that, I think when you do the rehab with the patient, I tell them, okay, you need to make sure that you have really good quad and hamstrings muscle because your knee is going to have to compensate maybe 10% of what you lost in the, in the calf. So you're working on those kind of things, but not not having the assumption that you're going to have 100% recovery because then you're going to fail. And I've seen people be able to go back, gymnasts go back, but if their goal was to have 100% of the heel rise height, it's not realistic expectation. To finish off, what do you see is the biggest opportunity in rehabilitation practice right now? 
I think the biggest opportunity that we have is that we really need to make sure as basically physical therapists, but anybody that we are going to be involved in the physical activity domain and really move forward, making sure that people are physically active and show that physical activity or exercise are the pillars of rehabilitation or pillars of medicine, I would say. What do you see as the biggest challenge in rehabilitation practice right now and how do we overcome this challenge? I think one of the things in the United States and for physical therapists are the way that we are um, paid through insurances that really sometimes I think limits what we're doing. For example, I know from Sweden we do a lot of group exercises for patients that is really beneficial, but there hasn't really been a way of doing that or charging for that in the United States. And I think some of those limits with insurance actually limits some of the good work that we can do. And finally, what do you love the most about rehabilitation practice or about being a PT? I love all of it, but I think it really is that I can continually challenge and work on research and challenge myself to learn more and get better so that I can really work with my patients and get my patients better. And then the best part then, if you do that and you have the patients, is when they send me emails to say that they've had the best marathon run they've ever had or they have a personal best in something in running. So that's really satisfying. So, Karen, I think that's a great place for us to finish. Lots of terrific messages for PTs, really pushing loading, giving us some excellent tips based on your clinical experience, but also your extensive research in this field. So I want to thank you so much for joining us and sharing all of this great information. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of JOSPT Insights. For more discussion of the issues in musculoskeletal rehabilitation that are relevant to your practice, subscribe to JOSPT Insights on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google, or your favourite podcast app. If you like JOSPT Insights, help others find us. Tell your friends and colleagues and rate and review us. To keep up to date with all the latest JOSPT content, be sure to follow us on Twitter, we're at JOSPT, and Facebook, where JOSPT official. Talk with you next time.